Hello, and welcome to Ancient Words, the Bible teaching podcast from Jerry Crow Ministries. My name is Jerry Crow, and I will be your teacher as we study the Word of God together. And now, today's lesson. Alright, let us turn in our Bibles today to Matthew chapter 5. And as we turn, I want us to remember that last time we were together, we looked at what is commonly known as the Beatitudes in verses 1 through 12. We learned that not only are those first 12 verses a picture of what it means to be a believer in Christ, but that they also show us the life of the believer from recognition of our sins to our future glorification in heaven. We looked at each verse individually, learning what each statement means for us as believers and how we can apply those verses to our lives. And if you didn't, if you haven't already listened to that podcast, I invite you to go back and listen to it. Good stuff in there. Today, we're going to look at the next section of this chapter in verses 13 through 16. Remember, we are going through this sermon together, and at first it will be a little slow because there is just so much packed into these first few segments of this fifth chapter of Matthew. However, once we get going, we will be able to grab larger chunks of the scripture at a time, and it will not take as long to get through as what it may appear right now. I assure you, we will get through this Sermon on the Mount and learn a lot in the process. Alright, so Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you as your children. We thank you for who you are in our lives and for the love that you have poured out upon us. We ask you to open our hearts as we lean our ears to you. Teach us today from your word that which you would have us learn. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now I am sure someone may be asking, how much can you really get from these four little verses? Is there really that much information in them that we are going to dedicate an entire podcast to just these four little verses? Well, the answer is a simple yes. In fact, there is a lot more information in these four verses than one may think. In my study for this episode, I went back and I listened to Dr. John MacArthur's sermons on these four verses. Yes, I said sermons. If you're not familiar with his sermons... They're usually about an hour long. And in 1979, he had a sermon for verse 13, about an hour long, just on one verse. And then he had a sermon for verses 14 through 16. So 
two hours Dr. John MacArthur had for these four verses. I don't think I'm going to have quite four, two hours for four verses. So, but I'm not Dr. MacArthur. Now, I will be borrowing some of his material. Just going to put that out there very front. That way some, some of you may not say, well, this sounds just like some of the stuff that Dr. MacArthur may come up with. Well, because some of it I did borrow from him. So, yes. Some of this is Dr. MacArthur's study. I am borrowing it. Giving him the credit for it. Right up front. No plagiarism. I am not Dr. MacArthur. I would never claim to be. But I do believe I have some insight into these verses which will help us with our walk with the Lord. Now verse 13 deals with the salt of the earth. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. First we must ask, who is the you referring to in this verse? Remember Jesus is addressing a multitude of people from the area around Capernaum. He has gone to a mountain to teach these people who have started following him. You, in this sense, refers to true believers, those who are truly repentant of their sins. They have made Jesus Lord of their lives and have made a commitment to follow him. This is the first step. Remember last time we looked at what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We looked at the entire life of the believer from repentance to death. So, now we know who you are. Now, what are you? You, the true believer, are the salt of the earth. Now, it is interesting that Jesus uses salt in this verse. See, in biblical times, salt was used for so many different things that it must have been mind-blowing for those listening to him speak these words. Today, we think of salt, and we think of salt that is used in food preparation. That is basically all we use salt for. But, in ancient times, salt was a part of everyday life. Let me give you a few examples. Number one, salt was used in offerings and sacrifices. Leviticus 2.13 says, And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. And then in Mark 9.49, it says, For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Number two, salt was used in the making of the incense for the tabernacle. Exodus 30, verses 34 and 35, says, And the Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, stacti and anica and galbanum, and pure frankincense with these sweet spices, 
there shall be equal amounts, equal amounts of each. You shall make of these an incense, a compound according to the art of the perfume, perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. Now the reason they used salt in this incense was so that it wouldn't become gummy. Salt acts as an agent to keep these spices from becoming gummy. We use salt in the culinary world when we're mixing spices also to keep them from becoming a gummy paste. They stay a fine powder. You use that when you're mincing garlic. It stays minced instead of a gummy mess. Just a culinary tip for you. Salt was used in covenants. Number three. Look at Second Chronicles 13 verse 5. It says, Should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the dominion over Israel to David forever, to him and his sons by a covenant of salt? And the way these salt covenants worked was you would have two people and they would have a bag of salt and each one of them would take a pinch of salt out of their bags and they would put it in the other person's bag and they would say the only way that this covenant would be broken is if you could differentiate my salt from your salt. Well, there's no way to do that. Salt is salt. It all looks the same. So, as long as my salt and your salt are mingled together, this covenant stays. That's the salt covenant. Uh, number four, salt was used to destroy fields where crops were planted. See, the salt would mix with the soil, and when water would get into the soil it would cause the water to become salt water meaning that no crops would grow in those fields look at judges 9 verse 45 it says so abimelech fought against the city all that day he took the city and killed the people who were in it and he demolished the city and sowed it with salt abimelech destroyed the city and he took salt and sowed it in the fields so that nothing would grow in those fields ever again. Number five, salt was used as an antiseptic and wound cleansing agent. You see, when we think of salt in a wound, we think that it burns and it hurts, but it also cleanses impurities and dirt and things out of that wound. Ezekiel 16 verse 4 says, As for your nativity, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. Now this is a, talking about it in the negative sense, but in the positive sense, when a baby was born, they would do that. They would take the baby and they would rub it down with salt in case it was cut in the birthing process so then any cuts would be cleansed and then they would wrap it in these swaddling cloths and swaddle the baby 
Uh, number six, salt was used to season food. Even as far back as Job, which is widely considered by biblical scholars to be the oldest book in the Bible, salt is mentioned as part of the culinary world. Job 6, 6. Can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Or is any taste in the white of an egg? Salt has been used in food forever. Which brings us to number seven. Salt was commonly used, and in some cases still today, as a preservative for meats. You see, before refrigeration, meats, once they were processed, they would very quickly start to decay, or they would become rancid. And in order to delay the progress of this decay, they would pour salt on it, and they would rub the salt into the meat, and then the meat would be dried. This is called salt curing. Or preservation and this preservation would extend the life of the meat far beyond what would normally be expected without that preservation this process still goes on today you can see it being done look it up on YouTube it's there so what did Jesus mean when he said that believers are the salt of the earth well, I personally believe that he had many things in mind when he called us salt. First, I believe that he understood that as we love one another, our love would be an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma, according to Ephesians 5, verse 2. Second, I believe that he wanted us to destroy the works of the enemy, sowing the salt of the earth into the fields of our enemy so that his crops could no longer grow. Third, I believe that he wants us to cleanse the wounds of the world. And finally, I believe that we are here on the earth to preserve the world from the judgment of God. You see, when I look at the book of Revelation and I see the judgment and wrath that's poured out on the world, I do not see any Christian people there. I do not see the church there. I see the nation of Israel, and I see the rest of the world, but the church is not mentioned after the letters of to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. See, this leads me to believe that the church is not in the world when the wrath of God is poured out in the end of time. By this, I can see that we the church, the true believers in Christ, are preserving the world from the judgment and the wrath of God. But when we are not here anymore, he is going to unleash all of his judgment and all of his wrath on everyone who does not believe. Now see, the interesting thing about salt in ancient times is that it would easily mix with other minerals. If it was not stored properly, it could mix with whatever minerals were in the ground, and then it would become useless or lose its flavor. When that happened, 
nothing could be done to separate the salt from the other minerals. It would be thrown out into the road where it would be walked on or, as Jesus said, trampled underfoot by men. You see, they do not have the modern processes that we have to purify the salt. Today, salt doesn't mix very well with other minerals. You can add salt to things, but salt stays salt. But in ancient times, when you added salt to things, the salt would be tainted. So today, we can purify salt. In ancient times, it wasn't possible to purify that salt. So it would get tainted or it would lose its flavor, as Jesus said. Now, similarly, we believers, we run the risk of becoming useless or losing our flavor when we allow the things of the world to mix with our holy lives. See, we are called to live lives that are holy to God, and yet we allow things that are not holy to come in and become part of us. As we do that, we run the danger of becoming less and less useful to God. But the good news is this. No matter how much we are mixed with unholy things, we can always repent, and God can refine us to become pure salt, ready for his work once again. Now, verses 14 through 16 say this, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, here Jesus moves from calling believers salt to calling them light. If you go to the Middle East, and especially to Israel, you notice something a little peculiar about the towns and cities there. See, they're all built on the tops of the hills and mountains. Of course, there are various reasons for this. One is safety and security. It's easier to defend a city that's on a hill than it is for a sit to defend a city that is in a valley. Another one is the ease of locating a city. You can be on one mountain and say, I'm going over to this city. Well, it's on that mountain over there. Easy to find, and, and so on. If you've ever traveled at night, and you've been on a long patch of road in the dark, I've done this many times. I love traveling at night. There's less people on the road. If you've ever driven here in the United States, the people on the roads, they don't drive very well. I'll put it that way. But if you've ever traveled at night and you've been on a long patch of road in the dark, you always know when there's a city coming up. Especially if it's on the other side of a hill. You top the hill and the lights are almost blinding in the darkness. 
You see, that is what Jesus is talking about here. We are to be so lit up that we blind those who are in the darkness of the world and we draw them into the light of the gospel of our Lord so that they too may be saved. We are not to be ashamed of being a light to the world. You see, do not let others try to douse your flame and more importantly, do not hide yourself from the world. Jesus said later in his ministry that those who denied him openly, he would deny in front of his Father in heaven. Now, I find it difficult to believe that he would be talking about those who rejected him there. And I honestly believe that by looking at the context of the rest of Matthew chapter 10, where that verse is found, that he is talking to believers whose faith wavers when it is tested. See, that is why Jesus went to P Peter personally after his resurrection and he called him back into the fold. See, Peter had denied Jesus three times when he was arrested. And Jesus had to reconcile Peter three times after his resurrection. You can find that in John chapter 21. What's interesting, verse 16, I find it one of the most interesting verses in this whole chapter. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Do you notice why we should let our lights shine? Not that we can be noticed. Not that we can be glorified. Remember, nothing we do is ever about us. This podcast is not about me. Whatever it is that you do is not about you. It is also that those around us may see what we are doing and give glory to our Father in heaven. I read a lot of older books of church history, old creeds and catechisms and things which I honestly believe should still be used in the church today to keep us out of trouble, but because they were created in the 15 and 1600s, most people ignore them. I say that to say this. The Baptist Catechism of 1693 and the Westminster Shorter Catechism both start with the same question. They start out with, what is the chief end of man? And the answer to that, that both of the catechisms give, is this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Our purpose, our main reason for being here on this earth is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now, the most interesting thing about salt and light is that neither of them are greatly effective in singular amounts. Have you ever used a single grain of salt 
to season anything? Have you ever seen a city with only one single light shining in it, letting people know where the city is? Of course not. While one single light may be somewhat effective, it is never going to be as strong as a group of 10 or 20 or 30 lights coming together to shine together to push back darkness. One single grain of salt is never going to be enough to season a steak, but when you use just the right amount, it is perfection. In other words, none of us should be trying to do our work on our own. God has a work for us to do, and we should be doing it, but never alone. Find those who are like-minded and join together. Get into a local church and join in fellowship with other believers. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you that you have not made any of us to be alone in this world. I thank you that we have each other that we can rely on and we can join together to further your kingdom here on this earth. Help us to be salt and light in the world. Help us to show the world that the only way to you is through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And it is in his name we ask these things. Amen. Before you go, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Because of your support, we are now, as of this recording, in 16 different countries around the world. And that just blows my mind. Because I never thought that this podcast would be reaching people in all these different countries. When I pull up the statistics, I see places like Germany, Bermuda, New Zealand, Australia, Japan, France, Malta, the United Kingdom, and many others. And I'm completely blown away. So thank you all so very much. And if I did not mention your country, I'm sorry. I know I skipped a few. This was just a quick little list. In my next update episode, I will do a more in-depth list of all the countries we've been able to reach because of your support. If you would like to follow me on social media, I'm on the major platforms. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I can be found at Crow Ministries. That's C-R-O-W. M-I-N-I-S-T-R-I-E-S on all three of those platforms. I would say that of the three, Facebook is the most active just because I do not do a lot of pictures for Instagram. And Twitter is usually just a link to something that uh, I post on the website. Uh, But I do invite you to follow me on all three of those social media platforms if you would like. Again, that is at Crow Ministries on any of those. And if you are able to support this ministry, I would, and would like to do so, I I know that we are all still struggling right now, and I do not want anyone to give if you are not able to do so. But if you want to and you can, you can do that on our website. That's www.jerrycrowministries, that's J-E-R-R-Y-C-R-O-W, M-I-N-I-S-T-R-I-E-S dot com 
forward slash donate. I'll put a link to that in the description of this uh, podcast. There you can give securely via PayPal. Um, And again, only give if you are able. Do not feel obligated to give to this ministry. I will continue to put out this podcast every month um, until such time as I'm able to put it out more frequently. God has been faithful to me. I will continue to be faithful to Him. Uh, Thank you so much for listening, downloading, and sharing this podcast with others. Please do share it with others. That's the only way I really have to get more people to listen is by you sharing it. So share it with others. It really does mean a lot to me that we've been able to reach around the world with the truth of the Word of God. Every single day, more and more people are tuning into this podcast, and that is simply amazing to me. So thank you all. We'll see you next time. May God continue to pour out His blessings on each and every one of you every day. Thank you, and God bless. Thank you for listening to Ancient Words, the Bible teaching podcast from Jerry Crow Ministries. We hope that you are encouraged by the Word of God. Remember to take a moment and look up today's scriptures and dig into the Word for yourself. For more information about Jerry Crow Ministries, please go to www.jerrycrowministries.com. There you can find information about the ministry, contact information, and catch up on some of our latest writings. Tune in next time for more biblical understanding. May God bless you and keep you in our Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit.